Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Today, I am so excited to have Ian Koniak. How are you, Ian? I am doing great. How are you doing, Wesley? I am doing fantabulous. I am so excited to chat with you today. Let me tell you guys a little bit more about Mr. Cognac. How about that? He is one of the strongest B2B sales leaders in the world and a highly sought after elite sales coach. His accolades include being the number one sales performance at Fortune 500 companies and the number one strategic account executive in the enterprise select division at Salesforce. He shares his insights as a sales thought leader in keynote speeches, webinars, training sessions, and podcasts. His sales success is rivaled only by his ability to help others untap their true potential. His elite coaching service, Ian Koniak Sales Coaching, is successful, is so successful that he has stepped away as strategic account director at Salesforce to run his business full time. Wow. It is definitely a labor of love to have your own business, but I'm curious, how did you become the number one elite enterprise sales director and transition into starting your own business? Well, I became the number one sales director at Salesforce after actually having some pretty big failures. I missed my quota three years in a row before becoming number one. So I'll take a step back and just kind of tell you how I got there. So I was always very, very good at what I would refer to as transactional selling. So think of transactional selling as the grind. Do a lot of activity, a lot of cold calling, a lot of prospecting, show up, outwork everyone, and get consistent results. In fact, I was the number one global sales rep and sales director at my prior company, Rico, where I hit 42 months in a row quota. I would outwork everyone, period. I would show up and you know consider myself pretty personable and generally just figured it out. And that worked great for my first 10 years of my career. Then I go to Salesforce and the environment's very different. Now I'm selling software and I'm selling to large enterprises. So I thought I can go out and outwork and out hustle everyone else. And I took that same approach that had served me my whole career into software sales and it didn't exactly work out. So I did end up hitting my quota my first year. I got lucky, I found a big deal after 15 emails to the CIO. And here I am thinking like I'm God's gift to the sales world because now I have 11 years in a row of quota attainment, including going to the enterprise division of Salesforce. I got rookie of the year and then I bombed for three years in a row. So I, I literally was out working, out hustling everyone and I was missing my targets. And so I took a step back and I said, well, maybe the approach of grinding and hustling is not actually effective when selling software. And I ended up getting really humbled and really my whole entire ego took a massive hit because I had always prided myself on my performance and I had been a top performer my whole career. So to go from this high performer to now somebody who misses not one, not two, but three years in a row, my whole world really crumbled, honestly. And it led to a lot of like self-doubt and a lot of beating myself up over this. And so I decided to take a step back and I did what any smart person would do if they fail on their own, which is go seek help and learn from others who are the most successful. So for me, it meant investing you know, over $20,000, even though I wasn't doing great at that time, I found the money to go and invest in a sales mastermind, a sales program geared at helping elite sales performers get to their highest possible potential. I hired a sales coach and I just took a step back and I said, maybe what I thought I knew is not actually the way. And I spent a year really investing in myself and learning what was 
needed to sell enterprise deals at the level of elite performers. And that was the year where I finished number one at Salesforce. And then every year I after that, I, I made the club, I cracked seven figures in sales and generally just had this remarkable transformation in my professional life and in my personal life that started with personal development and humbling myself. So I think that's the real answer is how I got there. And then that evolved into more of a calling of, okay, if I can do this, I need to help other people do it because I'm a normal average guy. If I can get to the elite performer level, I don't want other people to go through the mistakes that I made of missing their quota three years in a row. And more importantly, the mistake of putting all their self-worth in their performance and feeling like a failure and dealing with all the struggles that I had during that period. I want people to learn the actual way to get to the top that's healthy, that's abundant, that's aligned. That's why I like the name of your, your podcast when we talk about transform sales. And, and that's what I had to do myself is transform the way I sold. And once I did that and I saw the results, the next logical step was to help others do that because life is short. And if you're only working for yourself and you're only serving yourself, you're not fulfilling your mission on this planet. And so for me, that was very deep and personal and spiritual in nature to decide to leave that business and serve others for a living through my coaching business. Wow, you really embodied one of the things that I speak so emphatically about. And it's that someone helped you to get to where you are today. So you should reach back and help pull somebody else up. And it sounds like in everything that you're doing in your coaching business, like you're really doing that. But I want to rewind a little bit. And I want to talk about that transition from the first place that you left as a superstar salesperson going into Salesforce. So what are some of the things that you did in your first company? And tell us a little bit more about what that actual product, that service that you were selling was, and how did that not translate into this new role? Well, I was doing copier sales. So I sold multifunction devices. They weren't like desktop printers that you would buy at Staples. These were $10,000 copiers and, you know, very high level, but ultimately it was a commodity, right? So for copiers, everyone's got them in their office. And what I would do really simple is I'd lead with price and I'd go in and, and I'd say, hey, most likely you're spending a lot of money on lease agreements for these copiers, on toners, on printers. We can save you typically 10 to 20% of your printing costs. And I would target the CFO. And, you know, I was very good at that. And I said, you know, you don't need to be paying this money for printing. We have a better way to help the environment, better way to reduce your energy and, and better way to reduce the number of devices you have through these multifunction devices. So I would go around and basically assess what they were using and what the costs were. And if I could help them, great, I would. And if I couldn't, you know, then I would walk away. And it was a very repeatable process. It was a repeatable talk track. It was very easy because everybody had printers, copiers, scanners, faxes, you name it. They had it. And I would just consolidate those and provide all the supplies and maintenance. And it was a very, I would say, financially driven, business case driven sale. But that necessarily didn't change the way they worked, right? They're using these devices and whether they say Xerox on them or whether they say Rico on them, which is the company I worked for, didn't really matter. Maybe they'd have to learn the new interface, but there wasn't much change management. There wasn't much training. There wasn't much they had to do. It wasn't a disruptor to the business. Whereas when I went to Salesforce, you're talking, if you sell any type of software, you are literally disrupting how they work. Any software exists to automate manual processes or to improve collaboration or create reports or better visibility. Any software is going to take what they're doing manually or doing in multiple systems and create a streamlined, automated way of doing those things easier and faster. But that's going to require change. That's going to require them to actually have to rework their existing processes. It's going to have data migration. It's going to have to 
require some support from the users and from the stakeholders. It's going to need a business case. So it's a lot more strategic in nature because you're changing how they work and the nature of what they're doing. And people are naturally resistant to change. Okay. So the selling motion of selling change is much different than the selling motion of, of selling cost savings for a commodity that they already are using anyway. So it didn't translate very well. What did translate is my work ethic and my determination to help my customers, but it didn't translate to the actual stakeholder management and needing consensus on a purchase and having to really understand how they're doing things today in more detail so they can show them how they can do it in Salesforce. It was just a lot more of a longer sales cycle and more strategic in nature. So that's the transition that I was never trained to make. And I had to kind of figure out on my own through the years. And you really talked about that perfectly because a lot of times people come from selling a physical product you can see, touch, feel, and going to selling services or something conceptual. And in your previous position, it was like, here is money you can save in your pocket that you can reinvest. I can show you an RI calculator. I can give you a beautiful report. But when you go to selling the software as a service and it is very different than what people have done. And one changes hard. And one of the things I like to say is, do you drive home the same way every day? People who work in the office, do you drive home the same way every day? And some people say, yeah, I absolutely do. And other people say, say, nope, I don't like to use brand names on my podcast, but I use this magical app that always tells me a different way to go home. I was like, yep, I'm one of those people too, right? And so the thing is, it's like, who are you talking to? And most times when you're talking to these decision makers, they've been doing something the right way and it's hard, but they don't realize how hard it is or how much time they're wasting. And so for you to get them to try something new, even though it's going to save them time, it actually does save them money too. It's such a hard thing to convince. Yeah, 100%. It's change, right? It's selling change. It's selling a future vision. So, you know, in order for you to sell change, there's a set of skills that you need. There's a set of, you have to get people to admit they're in pain. You have to get really extract the pain from them. You have to get them to realize that they have a problem that they might not even be aware of. So that requires educating. That requires educating and becoming a thought leader in the space and really becoming a master of the problems that you solve, why they're problems, and being able to teach them something new about their business or their way of working that they don't already know. Because if you say, hey, how are you doing things today? And they say, here's how I'm doing it. And you can intelligently say, you know what? You could be doing it this way and here's why it makes sense and here's how much time it can save you. How do you feel about that? If you can explain that in a way that's compelling and that, you know, is naturally where they can't object to it, most people are going to say, yeah, of course that makes sense. I didn't realize there was a better way of doing things. So that's the job is to educate them without calling their baby ugly, without telling them that, you know, how they're doing things completely ass backwards. You can do it in a way that's very professional and polished. And that's something that I teach my clients how to do it. It's called mastering your message, but it begins with really knowing about the problems you solve and really knowing how to develop questions that extract, not if they have a problem, but extract what their current situation is. So you can then tell them, here's why this is a problem. I'm not sure if you've ever thought about this or, you know, consider doing it another way. But if you do, you can actually save this much time to reinvest in these key areas. Because most likely the things that your software or your services are going to help improve are things that they don't necessarily enjoy doing. They're administrative tasks. There's tedious manual processes. There's back and forth. No one loves doing that stuff. So if you can automate some of that, usually it makes people's lives easier. It makes their stress go down. So that's the kind of conversations you want to be having with decision makers that actually want to save time and want to improve the quality of their work every day. So yeah, it's a totally different skill set. 
the thing that so many salespeople don't get when I'm talking to teams, I'm like, you need to get your product out of your head. You need to step into the buyer's world, right? So what are the challenges? And that's exactly what you're talking about. What are the actual challenges that they are having every single day that is making their life hard? And sometimes you'll find those challenges are not actually something that your software can solve today. Sometimes they have so many more roadblocks before they can even conceptualize whatever your product or service needs to do. And your job is to help them say, hey, you know what? I have a partner. I have a company I work with. I know someone who can actually help you with XYZ. And what are they going to do? They're probably 70 to 80% of the time they're going to come back to you once that problem has been resolved and be like, okay, thank you so much for helping me solve that. Now can we talk about something else? Yeah. I mean, selling is helping. Selling is helping. Absolutely. Period. Here's the problem with sales. And I've been thinking about a lot of this, Wesleyan. Sales is a very inward, me-focused industry, business. It's very much about my income, my quota attainment, my goals, my position on the leaderboard, my recognition status. It's very much an ego-driven, selfish-driven sales industry. And the reality is that that can get you really far in a place where hustle and grind and hard work is rewarded and you could get the the recognition of those accolades from outworking everyone and you know it could be celebrated but when you're selling a software or a service or anything strategic in nature the best salespeople, the highest successful salespeople, the ones that actually leave their ego at the door and they realize hey it's not about me it's about my customers and the qualities that make a very and i'm talking about the titans of software. I'm talking about the elite seven-figure earners that are making millions of dollars, more than business owners, more than doctors and lawyers and accountants selling software. I know several people who have made north of a million dollars a year and the way they sell is very differently. So the qualities are not the grinder. The qualities are not the person that's just hustling and focused on their own commission and their own goals. What those sellers are doing differently is they're actually focusing on the customer outcomes and the customer problems. And in order to really dig deep and understand what a customer is really going through, especially in a large enterprise where it's very complex and maybe this is built over years or decades in some cases of what's led to these problems or these pain points, it's not some easy thing. It's like an onion you have to peel back and there might be multiple reasons and systems why things are the way they are. But in order to discover that, you actually have to be curious. You actually have to be empathetic. You have to be very patient. You actually have to give a damn and care about your clients. Those qualities, right, are sometimes counterintuitive to the qualities which are rewarded or recognized when you get into the industry of sales. So you have to make that transition from an inward-focused salesperson to an outward-focused salesperson who cares more about helping your clients get the results that they want than you getting the results you want, especially if you sell in the enterprise and you only have a few accounts that you're responsible for that are multi-billion dollar accounts, which is what I manage at Salesforce as an account director. So it really does require leaving your ego at the door and actually shifting your focus to how you can help them. And when you do that, you get helped in multiple intervals. Like it comes back to you tenfold. When you just make it about others, everything you want and more comes back to you when it comes to income, recognition, fulfillment, right? So that's the shift. That's the sales transformation I want to make is helping people 
get out of this me focus and make it about you focus. And, and frankly, I think that's what God put us on the earth to do is to help other people and love other people. And the sales industry doesn't always lend itself well to that. And, and it's so much pressure that we just, you know, we make it so much about ourselves. And that's the opposite of what's needed to really get the best results of your career. So that's kind of why I'm here. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing anyway. I love it. You mentioned that you had a three-year period of you didn't hit quota and you decided to invest in yourself. A lot of times salespeople think, well, I'm not hitting my quota. I'm not getting what I need for my company. So I'm just going to find another job. They don't stop and say, maybe I should take some kind of ownership of my own destiny. Maybe I should kind of put some money behind it because it's going to pay dividends. So walk us through that three-year period where you were really, you didn't know how to trust yourself. You felt like, I don't know what I'm doing. And that decision you made to invest in your own development. Well, you know, like many salespeople that are underperforming, I tended to blame external circumstances those first couple years. So the first year I didn't perform, I blamed my territory. I said, well, this other reps have the top accounts. I was rookie of the year my first year. Why don't I get the top accounts? It was a very kind of um, resentful, bitter kind of period. And because those thoughts were going in my head, I actually didn't show up my best every day. And then I didn't perform. And in all fairness, I didn't have great accounts. I didn't have, I had you know, six accounts and I think two or three of them ended up going bankrupt. So there was some territory considerations, but I also had a boss that generally saw me as a number. He didn't, I didn't feel like he cared about me as a person. I was just someone who helped him succeed rather than someone who he wanted to make successful. That's how I felt. You know, we've all had bosses, at least some of us have had bosses like that, where you just feel like they care more about themselves than you. And that wasn't the good experience. So I blamed him a little bit. I blamed my territory a little bit. Then I missed the number. And then the second year, I was still working for that same boss and I missed it again. And I had the same territory and it was like, man, you know what? I got to change teams. I got to leave teams. I have to go to another division. And I had two choices. I could leave the company and I actually had a job offer from Microsoft. And because I felt so entitled, the job offer wasn't as high as someone else who I knew that went to Microsoft and I turned it down and I said, I'm just going to stay at Salesforce and change divisions. So I go to the commercial division of Salesforce, which instead of having, you know, five to 10 accounts, I had 50 accounts. So I'm like, I need more at bats. I'm a transactional guy. I'm going to sell great in the transactional world. And I just need a different boss in a different territory. So I switched territories. I was given an opportunity to transfer to the commercial team. And that year I said, I'm going to give everything I can. And I tripled down on my hard work, on my effort. I had a great boss. I had a great territory. I had all the opportunity in the world. And I was sitting at 95% of quota going into the last day of the year. I was told that I was going to get one deal and that all I had to do was to come by and pick up the paperwork in the office. I went to go pick up the paperwork from the president. She said, everything looks good. The CFO approved it. The CEO approved it. I just need to make one phone call. And she tells me to wait outside. She keeps me waiting outside for over an hour while she's on the phone speaking Chinese. And she comes back and she says, Ian, I'm sorry, but we can't do the deal today. Now, keep in mind, this was the last day of the fiscal year, okay? And I had everything riding on this. I had changed teams. I had changed territories. I had done everything in my power to control my destiny. And now she tells me we can't do the deal. I said, well, why? What, what do you mean? Everyone's approved it. And she said, well, I talked to our parent company in China and our CIO in China said they're doing something similar with CRM. In China, they don't want us to sign off until we can compare what they're doing to what we're doing. And that's going to take a few weeks. And so we can't sign the deal the last day of the year. And I said, that's garbage. Let me talk to the CIO. It's not the same. We've been working on this for 
for six months, like, let me talk to him. And she gave me his phone number. She's like, look, if you can convince the CIO to do it, then I'll sign, you know? And I literally was in her office till like six or seven o'clock waiting for her to come out. And she finally kicked me out of the office. And she's like, I got to go home, try and get the CIO on the phone, see what you can do. And I was calling nothing. I was emailing nothing. And I kept calling till like 10 or 11 at night. Finally, the guy picks up. He's like, Ian, what is going on? I got your email. Like, why didn't you talk to me? What is going on? And I, I said, this is the last day of our fiscal year. You have to sign this deal. We've been working on six months. The deal goes away tomorrow. If you don't sign, you guys are going to miss out. You got to do it. And he said, Ian, I'm on vacation with my family. This is not how I work. I have to go click. And wow. that was my rock bottom. That was my rock bottom. Wow. I remember sitting in the mirror, staring at myself. It was at home. I'll never forget it. I had a blistering headache. My head was throbbing. I looked at myself and it was like an out-of-body experience. I couldn't even recognize myself in the mirror. And I just, I was at such a low feeling of failure on that last fiscal year after I'd done everything to do that and still falling short. At that point, I'm like, I don't know what I need to do. I don't know who I need to do, but I know that I can't do it on my own. I need to get help. And once you get to that point, and I, I'm in addiction recovery, I've been in sober for two and a half years and I have given up a lot of vices and a lot of things in my personal life that weren't serving me anymore with my family and with my job and anything. And so I know the importance of hitting that rock bottom because I've had to do it in sales to get help, but also in my personal life with addiction to go get help. And when you hit that point where you are humbled and you say, you know what, my way is not the right way. My way is causing pain. My way is, you know, not sustainable. That's when you become receptive. And that's when the universe and God will invite people into your life to go help you. And that's when all the answers will appear. But you have to have a humble heart and a humble mind to be able to see and acknowledge and accept those things, those opportunities. And that's exactly what happened to me is right after that time, all these opportunities to get help started emerging. I learned about this program. I also got a mentor at Salesforce and it just, you know, everything was happening to serve me and to take me to this place where I could actually get better, if you will, in the sales world. And that was my story. So that's kind of the evolution of those three years. It was like from one thing pointing the finger to another thing pointing the finger. And finally, I had to point the finger at myself. And that's when I actually got help. Wow, that story, that was so impactful. I mean, when you really <laughs> talk about hitting rock bottom, like literally being in somebody's office, thinking about me, myself, I got to hit this number. It's the end of our fiscal year. I don't care what you have going on. You're on vacation with your family. That matters to me not. I got to hit my number. And without you, I'm not going to hit my number. And really having that realization, like, it's not all about me. I have to do something differently. And then in your personal life, even sharing your journey of your recovery, right? And I congratulate you on being two and a half years um, sober. That is an amazing accomplishment. But really when you see all of those different bits and pieces and all the different things you had to do to realize I must do something different. Yeah. You're right. And it's funny you mentioned that. Like, that's what you took away from that story because that was the thing that needed to change. That selling is all about me and closing deals and my quota and my trip. I mean, this deal would have put me on trip. It would have got me to like 130%. It was a decent sized deal. I mean, I had everything riding on it. I did not care about the client. And in fact, I was in that situation and I told myself never again. I will never be in a situation where I'm pressuring a client on January 31st to do a deal they're not ready for so I can hit my number in the fiscal year. I need to be proactive. I need to get ahead of it. I need to hit my numbers well early before then so I'm, I don't have that pressure that I'm applying to my clients. And, and in fact, there was a deal 
earlier that month where I put the same kind of pressure and I lost it as well. So that forced me to put more pressure on the other client. So pressure doesn't work. When you put pressure on something, it cracks, it breaks. And that's exactly what happens to our clients. So my way of selling now is, is truly a no pressure selling. Like this is good for you. I'm here to help you. If you're not ready and you don't want it, there's plenty of people that do want my help, my time, my resources, my team. So it sounds like you're not a fit. Sounds like you don't want to change. Sounds like you don't have a problem. I'm going to, you know, spend time elsewhere. Thank you for your time. Like that's exactly how I sell now. And when you're pressuring, when it feels like you're pressuring, when it feels like you're pushing somebody to do something they're, they're not ready for and you don't want, it feels disgusting. It feels really icky. And that's kind of what I teach in my sales coaching is like, how do you help people and shift this focus from pressuring someone to do something to helping them get what they want and understanding what they want and giving them a path to get what they want, making it easy for them to do business with you by designing a really good experience that they can follow in purchasing and working with you. So this is all kind of coming together now with what I teach and what I coach. It's been, I'm the Dean of the Enterprise Sales School over at Pavilion. And you know, what I'm teaching has literally arose from years and years of doing it the wrong way. And then crossing the chasm and realizing, hey, this other way of doing it feels better. Clients respond better. And by the way, my income tripled. I went from averaging around $250,000 a year, which is certainly no chump change. That's pretty good in sales to averaging around seven fifty dollars my last few years of sales force. So this way of selling not only did wonders for the client, but actually did wonders for my family and my income and enabled me to retire from sales at 43 to go pursue my dream and now help people full time, which I don't think I would have been able to do had I not had the financial security to take that risk and to actually, you know, say goodbye to what was very stable and what I had gotten very good at. So I just feel like every salesperson listening needs to make that shift. That is the biggest shift you can make is to put your ego at the door, to humble yourself and to actually become an empty vessel is what I like to use. The, like you're an empty vessel. You're nothing. Let God shine through you. Let your skills, your experience, your knowledge, let love shine through you onto the people you're meeting with. And it'll come out naturally because you care, you're empathetic. So when you make it about your agenda, you're trying to impress people. The best way to impress people is to stop trying to impress Okay, you leave the best impression when you're not trying to be impress them. You're just trying to learn and ask questions and actually be curious. Okay, another way to say this is if you want to be interesting to others, you need to be interested in others. And that's the people skills, which the world needs and especially the sales world needs is just stop making it about you and your company and your products and your services and your demos and your bullshit and make it about understanding your customers and what their world looks like and figure out how you can help them. And if you can help them, great, the sale is going to come naturally. And if you can't, you know what? You're just going to save a lot of time pushing them to something they don't want to do. So that's really in a nutshell, what I think is, is how to become an elite seller. And that's how I got there myself is by making that shift. That's amazing. A few of the things that I kind of want to highlight from what you said is there's nothing like hitting your quota three months before the fiscal year is ending and you're just cruise control. And having, being able to make that systematized where year after year, you're like three months and it's like, yeah, okay, I'm done. Anything else is just gravy. And really yeah. stepping out of yourself and realizing that no one cares about you. I love to say that nobody actually cares about you. Your mom, your dad, your spouse, your kids, they care about you, but your customers actually don't care about you or the product that you're selling. It is all about them when you are talking to them and they know if you're into them or if you're just trying to get information to sell them. So really the thing that I like to sum up what you say is serve, don't sell. 
right? Find a way to serve each and every customer, each and every prospect. Don't sell. So you mentioned this paradigm shift, the way that enterprise sellers really need to change, the way that they sell, the things that they say when they're out there in the field. Give us two or three things that you could help someone who is on that bubble. They are struggling. They don't know what to do, how to do, when to push forward. What are some of the two or three things that you would tell them to start today? Well, what I did when I made this shift, like in terms of actionable items, is there's an old, it's called the Pareto Principle. And it's the 80-20 rule is what it's known for. And it says that 80% of your revenue comes from 20% of your clients. And so what I did is I picked my top 20%. So I had a list of maybe at this time, it's interesting, after I became number one at Salesforce, then I got promoted. I went to the enterprise select group and I ended up going from commercial back to enterprise. So it's funny how that that worked out. But fundamentally, the 80-20 rule is that you need to pick your top accounts and you need to focus there. A lot of people are spending a lot of time on smaller opportunities. What I did is I, I spent a lot more time on fewer opportunities, but they were larger in nature. So that's the first thing is, you know, pick your your 20%. So if you have an account list of 10, pick your top two that you're gonna go all in at. If you have a list of 50, pick your top 10 accounts, right? So that segmentation and focus is number one. Number two is within those accounts, you wanna heavily research two components of research that I do. Number one is account research. So understanding what they sell, how they make money, What's happening in their business? Looking at the news, looking at their marketing. Become a customer. If you have any B2B2C or B2C customers, actually go to their stores or buy their products or go online or sign up for their newsletters or go on their website and play around or go to their portal. Like whatever you can do to go through the customer experience so you can have a very specific point of view on how you can help that customer based on the research you're done, do that, right? Again, that requires caring, that requires patience, that requires a deep dive. Deep work is what my good friend Brandon Fluharty calls it, doing deep work on the account, okay? That's the second thing you can do in terms of research. And then there's the individual research. So once you've researched the account, what they do, then you wanna research the people in the account because ultimately it's people who end up sponsoring your product or service and buying. People that are the champions of the cause that you're helping them with. So you need to find out who are the key people in those accounts and specifically who are the key executives in the accounts to go after. A lot of salespeople are afraid to go after senior executives. They have imposter syndrome. They don't think they can add value. What I did is I said, you know what? I gotta get over it. It's not about me. Executive are the ones who stand to gain or lose the most from the current situation. So I need to be talking to the executives who can make decisions. Power compresses deal cycles. So map out the key executives in the departments that you actually can impact or sell to and then do the research on them. Look at what news have they been on? Have they been on podcasts? Have they done videos before? Have they gone to keynotes and given speeches? And literally take the time to listen to those podcasts, watch what they're saying, and then pull out data points of what they're sharing that you can use specifically for prospecting. Hey, I saw you from this conference. You said X, Y, and Z. I believe we can help you with X, Y, and Z. Would you be open to meeting, right? When you send that kind of message to an executive, it stands out versus every generic sequence that they get from every other salesperson. And then you have to be very diligent in following up because executives are busy. Even if you have the perfect message, it still takes on average eight to 12 touch points before you book a meeting with an executive. So You need to continue to follow up and be organized. And then the last thing that I would say you can do, so again, segment your accounts, do research on the accounts and the people within them, start targeting and personalize your prospecting. And the last thing I'd say you need to do is go get help. 
actually, if you failed on your own and you're trying to do it on your own, go get help and freaking fork out some money. I'm not talking about just watching free YouTube videos or watching free you know, podcasts because if you've already been doing that and you're not getting the results, okay, then it's not enough. Go get help from a mentor or a coach or join a mastermind or a program that can actually give you hands-on guidance and support and coaching to get you to that next level. You cannot do it alone. If you could, you already would have done it alone on your own. So humble yourself and realize like what you're doing isn't working and that accountability and having that mentorship and knowing, learning from someone who's already been on that path is the fastest path to success. Modeling, once I learned to model other people, and I've done that in my coaching business, I've modeled the top coaches, I've modeled the top solopreneurs, my coaching business has been on fire. So fundamentally, I'm a firm believer of learning from the best and skipping the learning curves. Why pay tuition if you don't have to when someone's already paid the tuition for you? So fork out some money, the best investment you can make is in yourself. Jim Rohn says, if you invest in your job, you can make a living. If you invest in yourself, you'll make a fortune. And that's been my personal experience. I've never stopped investing myself, whether it's with, you know, the sales training or whether it's with the addiction recovery, having a sponsor and having therapy, or whether it's with my coaching business, having mentors and being part of coaching masterminds. I've continued to invest in myself, you know, for the past five plus years and it's reaped amazing dividends. So that's the third thing people can do is find somebody that you can learn from, that you can get support from and sign up for their program. There's a plethora, whether it's me or whether it's someone else, there's a plethora of resources for sales coaching and sales support and go learn from people who've done it so you don't have to go pay the tuition. Wow, you just gave us a whole masterclass mini MBA on what to do if you are a salesperson that is not currently hitting quota, achieving goals. And you know, I would say even if you're right at the bubble, you're like barely squeezing in at the end of each month or the end of each year, there's room for you to grow. And what I really got from you is that it's really all about doing the deep hard work. Figuring out your top clients, understanding who they are, what they do, all these things that are behind the scenes, and then investing in yourself. And so if you really are serious about becoming that top salesperson, and I always like to say when I talk to sales leaders, because you know I, I like to talk to the leaders that are causing <laughs> these salespeople to do all these things, I tell the leaders that your goal should be every single person on the team should be hitting quota every single month. It's not just looking at it at the end of the year, but if you're not hitting quota at least 10 months out of 12, then there is room for you to grow and there are resources, there are things that you can do to actually get better. So I am curious, do you have a way that people can get in touch with you or an offer or something that they can do if they want to know more? Yeah, there's so many resources I have for the sales community. The first resources is my LinkedIn. I post every day. Follow me on LinkedIn. If you want, send me a DM. The second resource is my newsletter. And if you send me a, a LinkedIn request, connection request, or a DM, I'll get you the link to that, but it's just untapyoursalespotential.com slash newsletter. Again, untapyoursalespotential.com slash newsletter. That's the second resource. The third resource is my YouTube channel. It's just Ian Koniak YouTube. If you Google me, you'll see that resource. And the fourth resource is my mastermind class, my coaching program, which is a group of elite sales performers. It's been sold out since its inception. I will be opening up spots in December again for my next cohort. And there is a wait list of over a thousand people on it, but it is a first come first serve wait list. So if I blast it out to the entire wait list and whoever signs up first is the one who gets in, in the program. So it's limited to a hundred spots and it will be opening in December. And the link for that is 
untapyoursalespotential.com slash waitlist. If you're not ready to go on the waitlist yet, just go on untapyoursalespotential.com and you can read all about the program and what's included. It's a one-year membership where you get coaching, mentorship, and part of a community with me leading every single week and even private one-on-one calls with me where I can help you through your deals or whatever personal challenges that you're trying to face, whether it's habits, mindsets, or just trying to break through that chasm that I talked about and become your, your best self. That's what I do for a living now, and it's a great source of joy and fulfillment to help others get to their elite level performance. So that's how you can get a hold of me, and I look forward to serving you at, at the highest level. Awesome. And all those links will be in the show notes, guys. So you can click on them as you're listening, as we're wrapping up this time where we have gotten a complete masterclass on how to go from being ordinary to extraordinary in enterprise sales. And so I thank you so much for your time, your talent, and your expertise today. And you shared all the ways that people can get in contact with you. As we wrap up this episode, what are the last words or the last thing you want to leave with the listener? I'm going to steal a line from the great Zig Ziglar. And he says, if you help enough people get what they want, you will always get what you want. So focus on understanding what people want, what your customers want, and show them how you can help them get it. And you will watch your results in your life transform. That is amazing. And you ended it with the best word, transform. Thank you so much. This has been an amazing episode. I've learned a lot from you. And I know that my listeners have had a rich experience. And so that was another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Remember, in all that you do and every day, try to get 1% better so that you can transform your sales. Until next time.